The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. It's the path to Paris. Join track wrestling Shane Sparks as he talks to members of Team USA as they prepare for the 2017 World Wrestling Championships in Paris, France. Now, here's your host, Shane Sparks. Welcome to Track Wrestling. I'm Shane Sparks. This is the path to Paris. Of course, the Senior World Championships just over a month away. World Championships kicking off on August 21st in Paris, France. Track Wrestling is partnering with Titan Mercury Wrestling Club for broad coverage of the Senior World Championships, including a special promotional price of $9.99. That gets you the live stream of the entire tournament and all the archive video. I'll be in Paris, France, along with Andy Hamilton, interview stories, recaps, previews, all that great stuff. Really looking forward to that. We move on. A true honor, as it always is, to welcome our guest here today, one of the most talented wrestlers you're ever going to see, uh, but perhaps just as important, he's one of the great guys in our sport, great representation, uh, one of the proud faces of USA Wrestling. He needs little introduction, three-time world champion, 2012 Olympic champion, a privilege to be joined by Jordan Burroughs. Jordan, what's shaking? How are you? Shane, I'm doing very well. I appreciate you having me on the show today, man. It's good to be here. Jordan, when I look back in my years in professional sports, doing a sports talk show, and now specifically the last 10 years with wrestling, mainly in college and international wrestling, the one thing that I've come to appreciate more than anything is just how extremely, extremely difficult it is to win, to be the last man standing. When you want to be the best in the world, everything changes. I want to go back just for a minute. I haven't talked to you in a while to uh, Rio. It's coming up on a year now. It's been a while. As as that sets in or continues to set in, what are a couple of things, Jordan, that were most valuable from that experience, both maybe painful and or motivational for you? Well, it was a difficult experience, um, to say the least. I think that everyone loves a great comeback story, but very few people want to be the person that has to experience the fall before the rebirth, you know, and it, it was a really difficult position for me to be in, especially with the expectations I had set on myself outside of what the world expects and thinks of me and hopes of me and inspiration and motivation I'm able to give to my fans and the people that follow me. I want to win because I feel that I put the training in, I made the sacrifices and I do it because I love the sport and I really want to be on top of my game. And so whenever you're not able to see your hard work come to fruition. It's very difficult, especially on such a big stage with so many people watching. Um, you know, I think my growth and development from Rio has really come from an emotional standpoint, um, from creating an identity outside of what I do and more of who I am outside of the sport. Um, really grounding myself in my faith and my family, understanding that they're very, very short few years that I get to do this. Right? And, and just kind of appreciate it for what it is and less of what comes from the success that I've had. I think at the Olympic Games, you kind of get jaded in terms of what comes with being an Olympic gold medalist as opposed to the true essence of why we began originally. You know, I've been wrestling for years and years and years for free. 
with no expectations of anything but just being the toughest guy on the mat. And so for me, really getting back to the essence of that is important, and uh, I think I've been able to do that this year. What do you remember, Jordan, from that night following the competition? I remember being extremely overwhelmed emotionally. I remember being very sad, embarrassed. Uh, I remember vividly going into immediately after second loss, realizing that I wasn't going to have a medal and doing interviews and just being in a place where your biggest nightmares have come true, right? Like it's like a public execution where you're just in the public eye, nothing can change what's going on and you're always overwhelmed. And so it was, it was really difficult. I remember having to go back to the campus where all the Olympians were, right? So everyone, there was a big TV screen on the campus of where we were staying in Rio. We had like a, a site rented out um, by the USOC and our entire United States delegation that was specifically for U.S. athletes. And inside the cafeteria, they had a huge projector big screen where every night everyone would gather and watch all of the events of the day. And so I remember walking back that night and I had to go get my bags from Lonier and I remember walking through the cafeteria and seeing all the other athletes there that had been watching me that day. And obviously, you know, there's no words to be said or no understanding to be had at that particular moment. You just understand that people watch you. They watch what has transpired throughout the entire day. And obviously that a lot of people had been felt what I had experienced that day. And so they understood. And for me, it was just, a, I wanted to get out of Dodge. It was really difficult for me because my plans for that night were completely different than what I was actually experiencing and living at the moment. And so, yeah, it was difficult, man. It was one of the most humiliating times, but also humbling. Right? It was it was very humbling to experience from both sides. Right? There have been a number of years where I had been the only guy walking away from the World Championships or the Olympic Games with a smile and a goal. And so, for me to actually now be more relatable in terms of going from all I see is gold to complete devastation, being able to recognize it from both sides of the spectrum has, has broadened, uh, broadened my, my horizons and, and my views of, of the sport and of my life and of human failure and success. When, Jordan, did the healing process really set in? And what were a couple of things that really helped uh, the wounds of that day begin to heal? I'm not healed. <laughs> I'm still not healed from that day, man. It was very difficult for me. And still to this day, there's not one day that goes by where I don't think about it, consider what I could have done differently, question the things that I did, my abilities because of my performance there. So like, there are a number of things that I still think about to this day as to why it happened, why it was at that specific time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's part of life. You know, part of the journey is, is figuring out your purpose and why you do what you do and how to navigate the difficult times with grace and figure out how to help to use those times to motivate others. I think that's, that's really necessary for me. So, like, immediately after, I'm like, well, man, I'm so embarrassed. I don't even know if I want to come back and wrestle anymore. Like, like it's going to be difficult for me to get back out there and do what I do because 
it was really a shot at my psyche and my confidence. But then I realized that how many people were inspired, not necessarily because of my loss, but just because of my participation. Like not being an Olympic champion is not a failure in the eyes of really everyone but me. I think that as you get extremely high in your level and abilities, it's winter bust. But the realization is getting to the Olympics is a goal and extremely high accomplishment in and of itself. And so I just really try to take the good from the experience, knowing that I have grown as a man, realizing that there were some mistakes that I made in my mental preparation leading up to the Olympic Games and really just try to sharpen up those things next time, right? There's no guarantee that you'll ever win. But I know if I'm in a good place mentally and taking care of myself physically, that I'm going to be really hard to beat regardless of the situation. What do you feel, Jordan, were some of those errors in preparation? I think for me, really just uh, it was the day of where my confidence really wavered. I think up and through my training, I felt great. Like, I felt good. My, I'd been wrestling better than ever. My body felt physically good. I had been mentally focused. But I think it was the difficulties on that day. I had become so overwhelmed in terms of what was at stake and what I had the ability to accomplish and attain from that day. I knew it was going to be tough, right? As soon as I stepped off the scale and saw my draw, I knew I was going to have to wrestle Godoy as my very second match. So I knew it was going to be really hard. Within that, I started to waver in my thought process of I'm the best guy in the world, right? Is this guy really prepared for me? Has he watched a number of my matches? Last year at the World Championships, we were within a razor-thin match of each other. And so, like, I knew it was going to be really tough. And instead of really preparing myself mentally for the battle and for the fight, I, you know, was a little bit, I was afraid. I was afraid of that day. Um, and that's, that's not indicative of who I am as a wrestler and as a, and as an athlete and as a man. And so, yeah, it was, it was evident both in my, my mannerisms and and my competition and and the way I wrestled that day. And so, yeah, I mean, I try to stay away from it. It's hard. It's hard as an athlete. I think one of the toughest things about being in this for seven years is staying consistent with your thought patterns and always going out and giving your best, right? Anyone can do it for a year or two. It's very difficult to do it for seven years straight. And so I think that's what was so special about what John Smith was able to do, Bruce Baumgartner, all these guys that have had sustained excellence and have done it for such a long period of time. You realize within it how difficult it is to always be at the top of your game, both physically and mentally. It's draining. It's draining. And so, yeah, just trying to stay prepared. I know that after each world championship, I'll get a break. I'll get some time to recuperate, relax, and spend time with my family. But it's difficult. There are times where you're like, man, I just I want to be done. I want to retire. I just want to be normal. This is too much stress, too much anxiety and nervousness that's being built upon me. It's overwhelming. But then also within that, it creates a special type of person who can do that consistently year in and year out and still perform at a high level. Pass to Paris here on TrackWrestling.com talking with Jordan Burroughs. Uh, going back to last month, early June, Lincoln, Nebraska, World Team Trials. I think Jordan, for me anyway, is one of the best, most exciting nights of wrestling uh, that I've ever seen, of course, highlighted by you and Kyle Dake. You lose that first match. That's the first time you've lost in forever on U.S. soil. First freestyle loss at the senior level on U.S. soil 
Take us inside your mind, Jordan. What is consuming your mindset as you walk to the back, suffering a tough loss to Kyle Dake, knowing he's going to bring it every time? Yeah, I mean, I know Kyle's tough. I've wrestled Kyle numerous times for years and years and years. I've seen him train. He's a great competitor, and I know he's a gamer that wants to win as bad as I want to win. But within that, after that first match, I was like, crap, right? Like, because I knew that the four-point move was the game-changer within that match. And so, regardless of how well he felt that he wrestled, really there were only two sequences that he initiated, or really one sequence. He got the first takedown, and then he capitalized with a four-point move after, you know, on a, on a shot of mine that I got in that position where I almost had him up off the mat. And so after that, being down 6-1 to one and coming back to tie it up 6-6, six to six, right, like I felt like the momentum was in my favor. Even though he had won the match, I had put him in a position where he had to really struggle and wrestle extremely hard, probably harder than he really wanted to wrestle to pull out a victory. Um, and so within that, I'm like, crap, I lost. It was a bummer. But I feel like I'm in good position to come back to the second match. But I knew that within that, the second match, he was going to come back and wrestle extremely tough with good solid positioning because he wanted to win in two. Right? He didn't want the match to go to three. And so I remember we went back up to the wrestling room Manning was with me, and uh, he's like, listen, I've seen a lot of guys do this, right? Like John Smith lost to John Fisher in the 92 Olympic trials, and he still went on to win, make the team, and become Olympic champion. He's like, Kale lost to Lee Fullhart in the Olympic trials, went on to win, make the team, become Olympic champion. Like, all these guys have done it in the past, lost the match, got the match, still went on to be great, and win the World Olympic Games that same year. And so, you know, it was really encouraging. I knew that, obviously, I had beaten Kyle numerous times, so I, I was capable of doing it, but I knew it was going to be difficult that second match. And as it was, it took a last-second takedown and a scramble to, to really win that second match. And so it was it was fun, though. It was fun to be a part of, man. I was, I was bummed, but I was confident that I could come back and win. And I knew that after making him wrestle hard that first match, knowing that he had two matches earlier in the day, that – the conditioning and the and just holding up really favored me. I knew that I physically could hold up longer than he could, um, and I, I was confident in, in that in my conditioning. And so, yeah, it was it was uh, it was scary, but I knew that with three matches now potentially it was going to be in a very very exciting matchup. And so, a lot of people probably counted me out after the first match, like man, finally Kyle beat him. But it's interesting, right? Because like, the two times we've wrestled at the trial, so I remember back in 13, the first series we had, it went 6-6 six to six criteria, but we were using the overtime rules. I don't know if you remember that, but so we went 6-6. Six and that six was the six. one in, in uh, Stillwater, correct? Yeah, and that was Stillwater, right? But we were using overtime, and so he would have actually beaten me by criteria then, but we used overtime, and I ended up getting the takedown in overtime. And then fast forward to this year, right, it was 6-6 six to six again criteria, and no overtime. And so, you know, he won the match. And so I, I knew it was going to be close. I knew it was going to be tough. But fortunately, it was able to come out my favor. So I was happy about it. You look at this sport, Jordan. I remember uh, watching that second match. You had me against the ropes. You're down fairly late. And I, I remember watching it, thinking to myself, man, wrestling. Like having a conversation with the sport itself in my mind. I'm thinking, man, wrestling. This is what you're going to do to him. He has Rio. I understood the disappointment of that as best as I could from the outside looking in. And now he's in his home gym against what many would say is his top rival here in the States. 
and he's going to lose to Kyle Dake. I mean, that, that was, I, I just thought that would, would have been brutal, but that's what this sport is. When you're down fairly late in that second match, I mean, now what are you thinking? You were, you were in trouble there, at least, at yes. least to many of us, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I was, I mean, I just knew I had to try to pick my, pick my shot, pick my angles and try to get something good, right? It's easy now to say, cause hindsight's 2020. They're like, Oh, I was just, you know, staying patient. I knew I was eventually going to take that. I didn't know I was going to get a takedown or not. I was just hoping that something good would happen. <laughs> Unfortunately, it did for me. I was trying to keep myself in good position. I was trying to keep him off of my legs, right? Cause 3 you're in striking distance. 5 it's a wrap for you. And so, like, I knew that if he got another takedown, it would be over for me. And try, I tried to stay in solid positioning while, you know, trying to force him to be put on the shot clock. Because once he was on the shot clock, I'm like, okay, well, let me get my point. And then if I get a takedown, now I tie it up. I'm winning by criteria. And so I was really just trying to be smart with it because I knew he wasn't going to shoot. I knew after the first match, after him being up big, he didn't shoot the entire time, the remainder of the match. And so I'm like, well, man, he's up 3-0. He's probably not going to shoot again. So got him on the shot clock. I'm like, all right, let me not shoot during the shot clock. I'm just going to wait, get my point. Three to one. Now I'm like, okay, I'm in striking distance. Let me try to shoot down four. And so when I had to take, I had no idea I was going to get a turn with it. Right. Fortunately, he was, he was trying to extend the scramble, right? He was trying to extend the scramble cost him. He gave up a turn as well. And so, you know, then that, that changed the dynamics of the match. And then obviously the rest was pretty incredible and crazy as well. But I was just trying to stay focused. I was trying to stay focused. Like if I was going to go down, I was going to try to go down swinging, but I knew that. The things that I typically would hit him in, he wasn't exposing himself to. He was staying in good position. He was doing a great job hand fighting. He was keeping his hand, hips back, his hands low. His, he was just doing a great job, right? He was doing a great job. And so I was like, man, this dude's wrestling really well. Like, I don't know if he's going to open up. And so I just tried to continue to shoot, continue to stay in good position. And when you wrestle hard, good things happen. You've been in Lincoln for over a decade, so Coach Manning has been there every step of the way. How has that relationship evolved with Coach Manning, and why does it work? Well, I, I think it works because it's, it's been a successful formula, right? It's hard to to try to dismember anything that's been so successful and so valuable to us. And so when I first met Manning back in 2006, I knew that he was a guy that was going to allow for me to have the freedom to do the things that I wanted to do, but also give me the structure to thrive under his tutelage. And that was huge for me because like, I was different. Like I wasn't a lot like a lot of the guys that were here from the Midwest guys that were here from Nebraska. It was different. I was a different guy. I was from the East coast. I went to a predominantly African-American high school. Like I spent a lot of time with my family. I hadn't really gone. I spent much time away. I had never been to, an overnight camp. I'd never been to Fargo. And so like everything that I experienced here was relatively new for me. And so he kind of gave me the ability to find out how good I could be by providing structure, but also allowing me to have the freedom to develop as a man. So it was cool, man. And I think that still to this day, he gives me that freedom. And that's what I really appreciate about him. Like a lot of people made offers to you know, have me come and wrestle for the program or be a part of this school. But for one, there's nothing like representing your alma mater. That's huge for me. Two, you know, the loyalty factor and staying with people who have helped develop me and my growth patterns and have known me since 
you know, I was relatively unknown. So from relative obscurity to this extreme success in the wrestling world, then also just having someone that trusts you to make the right decisions and allows me to make the right decisions. He's never questioned my ability to do the right things as a man. And he's also given me the opportunity to stay here at Nebraska. We basically started an RTC based around me. When I graduated from college, no one here was wrestling. No one here was training post-collegiately. And I was the only guy to really do this. And so he built a program that now has myself, James Green, Don Bradley, and all these guys, Kendrick Maple, and all these guys that are wrestling and uh, hopes of being Olympic and world champs, right? And so it's, it's pretty crazy to see that I was once just a guy, and now the dedication he's shown to me to help grow not only this program, but my, myself and my life as well, is, it's been pretty cool. And so I'm thankful for it, thankful for him and what I've been able to establish here in Nebraska. So it's it's uh it's hard to leave, man. It's gonna be hard to leave this place. When you think about Coach Manning thirty years down the road, Jordan, you'll be knocking on the door of sixty. What is a story or two that will always, you know, resonate top of your mind when you think about Coach Manning? I just think about where we started, right? Like when you first arrive on campus, for me I wasn't heavily recruited. I was only a one time state champ. And so like Mark didn't know me very well, but he would always tell me, like, listen, you have skills like Kenny Monday and Nate Carr. Remember, he always say these guys, Kenny Monday and Nate Carr. I'm like, who the heck is Kenny Monday and Nate Carr? Like, who are these guys? Like, why do you keep comparing me to them? I've never even heard of these guys. Like, who are they? And then once I started to educate myself about the sport, like, I realized these guys were Olympic world champions, Olympic and world medalists. I'm like, man, these guys are studs. Like, I'm not even an All-American yet. There's no way. I can be as good as those guys. And so, like, as I continued to get better, he continued to compare them to me. He was like, listen, we got bigger fish to fry. We're not just trying to be national champions and conference champions. I want you to be Olympic and world champ. And so, like, he was one of the few people that truly believed in me before I believed in myself. And that came from a point where he had no idea who I was to getting me here on campus to, you know, struggling to get into the lineup to – you know, finally inserting me in the lineup and having some disdainment about, you know, my ability to be a leader on this program to being the guy and being a two-time NCAA champion, right? And even through my injury in 2010 where I had to take a medical redshirt, he still continued to prepare me for the future, knowing that I could do better, right? And so, like, he's really kind of guided me to the ability to have what I needed to kind of to do my own thing. Right? He was like, listen, I'm just going gonna, gonna to help you get to where you need to be, where you can do everything on your own. You know, and he's done that now. And even now, you know, at 29 years old, we still have a great relationship where he helps me develop in certain areas. And, you know, he, he really helps to guide me and put me in a position to, to do what I want to do as an athlete and as a man. And so, yeah, it's been great. The relationship's been great. You're about five weeks, Jordan, from uh, the day of your competition in Paris. You look at this weight class, things have, have cleared out a little bit with uh, Yazdani of Iran and Godoy of Russia both moving up a weight class. How do you assess this field? A, a couple of guys you're maybe paying special attention to? Um, yeah, I mean, you're always, you're always, they're always prospective guys, right? They're always young guys that you've never heard of, and there's always older guys that you've already wrestled, but it's tough to beat guys multiple times in a row. 
And so I, I know it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to have to scrap. I'm going to have to be ready for the battle. But I'm very well prepared. And I'm always prepared. And I'm never in a better place mentally at any time than I'm, I've ever been. Right. So, like, for me, it's really just about going out, doing what I do best, staying confident in what I do. Right. Knowing that if I wrestle at my best or if I give 100 percent effort, I don't even have to be my best. And I don't say this like arrogantly, but I truly feel like sometimes you don't have to wrestle your best. You just have to wrestle your hardest. Like, I truly feel that a lot of guys are hyper sensitive and focused on wrestling their very best and feeling 100 percent. Like, I never feel 100 percent. I very rarely ever am in the zone when I'm competing. I just try to give what I can and do the best of what I have. And so I know if I can do that and not let guys slow me down, it's going to be hard. The more I move my feet, the more uncomfortable these guys are. The more shots I take, the more uncomfortable they'll be, the harder it is for them to keep up with me. And that's next level stuff. So if I can do that, I'm going to be difficult to beat. I really think I'm going to be a world champion this year. Um, I think I'm going to be a world champ. So I can't guarantee that I'll win, but I'll guarantee that I'll give my absolute best effort. And uh, if I give my best, I'm going to be hard to beat. Who are a couple of the young guys on the scene, Jordan, at this weight class? On our team? On Team USA? Uh, no, in, in your weight class in Paris. Oh, in Paris? I mean, there are, there are a lot of guys. Um I think of uh, Sonard Meredith from Turkey, who's really tough. We've wrestled before. I think of obviously Bekzad, um from Uzbekistan. He's he's extremely tough. We wrestled last year at the Olympic Games and then uh, a time before in Germany. Uh, I mean, they're going to be tough. Everyone's tough. Everyone's tough. Um, but, I mean, that's just the nature of the sport. I'm tough. And so... I don't worry about what those guys have. I just worry about doing my best. My best is better than anyone else's best. And so I stand confidently in that. And I'm hoping that I can provide my best effort on August 26th. And if I can, then I'll be walking home with another belt. And so I'm looking forward to it. I'm not too too worried about what other guys are doing, what they're doing in their training and their preparation. I just know that I've wrestled a number of guys. Every guy's going to give me a different look. They're going to give me their best, obviously, because I'm an Olympic champion and it's the world championship. They want to be a world champion. So I'm going to have to be prepared for every position, wrestle hard through every single battle, be stingy, not give up any points and score as many points as possible. So I like to... Well, where- where technically, Jordan, have you maybe put more emphasis in, in preparation for this this event? Technically, I really think it's – there are a couple of positions I've been working on. Um, really, for me, to be honest, it's really not – it's effort. It's effort level. It's effort level for me. Like, I think that when I first got onto the scene, I was winning a ton, but I felt as though, one, I wasn't being efficient. Two – I wasn't getting the respect for the technique that I had at the time, right? Everyone was saying, okay, Burroughs only has a double. All he has is a double leg, right? But now that I've stopped shooting the double leg, people are like, well, Burroughs doesn't even have a double leg anymore. So he's essentially got nothing, right? And so I think that there was a particular time where I stopped shooting as much because I thought I could get it done with technique and less with effort, right? But now I've realized that that's why I've had so many close matches in the last two years is because of that fact, right? It wasn't my technique. 
and my sharpening of skills that was really helping me to win the events. It was my grit, my mental focus, my toughness, and my effort that I was bringing to every match. Like, I'm not going to always have the best technique, right? It's not about, for me, a guy being extremely technical is not knowing a lot of moves. It's being to execute a few moves on anyone in the world. And so that's something I'm definitely able to do is execute a few moves on anyone in the world. And so that's extremely important to me. Jordan, so many young wrestlers aspire to be the next Jordan Burroughs. If you could go back to middle school or high school, knowing what you know now, what are a couple of aspects of your training that you might adjust or pay extra attention to? Well, that's a good question. I would say, man, that's a good question. That's a good question. I'd say one of the things that I feel have been untapped in the young wrestling world is really just nutrition. I think that taking care of your body, making sure that you're sound mentally because of your preparation. My confidence always came from my preparation, right? I wasn't just this uber-confident, swagged-out young man when I was growing up. I was the youngest of four. Like, I was really little growing up. I was a 103-pounder as a freshman year. I was a late bloomer. wasn't very successful. So, like, I didn't have a ton of swagger and confidence growing up. And I really think that for me, it would be putting yourself in a sound place mentally by doing everything right, right? Working your hardest, giving 100% effort in the wrestling room, taking care of your body physically by putting the right foods nutritionally into your body, right? Making sure you surround yourself with the right people, people that are like-minded, have equivalent goals, and that all want to be successful as well. Um, and then within that, your confidence will come because you've prepared and left no stone unturned on a second day. And so that's huge. That's huge. I think that now when I step out to the mat, I think that I deserve to win and that I'm capable of winning because I've done everything right. I don't know if I'm going to win. I mean, that's the hard part about the sport. It's like if you just won based upon the work that you put in, everyone will be a champion. Right? But fortunately for a lot of people, you still got to go out and do the wrestling. You got to do the work, and uh, that's, it's difficult. It takes a lot of courage to do what we do, to go out and not have any guarantees. Like I see all these NBA contracts that are being signed just recently, where these guys every dollar that they sign for is guaranteed. <laughs> very few, very few guys in wrestling that are making a solid living off of what we do, and it's only because we've been extremely successful. Right? Like imagine if in the NBA, only getting to the NBA finals guaranteed you a paycheck like if you didn't make the playoffs you didn't get paid right it'd be a completely different game with a lot fewer people playing i imagine and so yeah it's uh it's a difficult position that we're in but i love it man i love the sport i love what we do and i love being the guy that kind of kind of passed the torch on to the younger crowd i've been part of two generations i've been on the team as a 22 year old rookie fresh to the team with very little expectations and now I've been on the team as a 29-year-old veteran that's been through it all, seen it all, and accomplished everything these guys are trying to attain. So for me, it's it's fun to see both sides of the spectrum, to be on both sides, and to kind of be able to give these guys the knowledge that I've seen. Like, right? Like, I'm not a guy that's like one of the old guys that are like, yo, I don't want these guys to be as successful as me or make as money, much money as I've made or brand themselves well. Like, I want these guys to do it better. The better they do it, the better it is for the sport. And so 
I want to see Kyle Snyder win more titles than I have. Like, I want to see these guys get cooler wrestling shoes and better endorsements from larger corporations. Like, I want to see that happen because I think we're on the brink of doing something incredible in this sport. And it's cool that I've been the, the trailblazer. Like, I've really been the pioneer to do it first. I showed these guys how it's done, showed them that it's possible, and now they can go ahead and one-up me and do it properly and kind of continue to up the bar and, and renovate everything that I've done. It's pretty cool to see, man. We've got a good young team, a lot of young guys coming up through the pipeline that are in high school and college now that are going to continue to do it even better than we're doing it now, you know? And so for me, it's not about missing the train. It's about starting the train, and I'm excited about it. I want to get your opinion, Jordan. You mentioned, you know, high school and college kids. There's that, that debate of folk style, freestyle. You've had, had great success at both levels. Well, what is your opinion? What are your thoughts on, on what is best for our country and or uh, individuals? It's hard to say. It's hard to say, um, right, because folk style is so closely ingrained in our country in terms of how long it's been celebrated and competed in. And being an NCAA champion is really the ultimate goal for a lot of people. Realistically, not everyone's going to go on and wrestle at the Olympics and Worlds or even try. And so I think the affiliation with college programs makes folk style king in this country. But then also, freestyle is an ever-evolving sport. Rule changes almost yearly. And a lot of them that people don't necessarily agree with and that some are confusing and hard to identify with and follow. And so I think that if we can make our rules closer to freestyle, absolutely, it'll help us as a country. How could it not? I think the folk style freestyle debate is not really whether wrestling freestyle would be more helpful. I think that's a definitive, but I think that the structure of folk style provides an uncharted amount of ability, growth, and development for these young guys. Like everyone's like, well, well why is Kyle Snyder and Jaden Cox and all these guys and Zane Rutherford being extremely successful immediately after a college season is freestyle so much better. And I'm like, it's not a debate which style is, will prepare you more for freestyle. It's obviously freestyle. But I think the structure of a collegiate season is unparalleled in this country for senior-level athletes. These guys are training every single day, listen every day. They've got specialized focus from a team of coaches. They've got strength and conditioning coaches. They're wrestling two duels a week from October all the way through until March. And so the structure alone is why they've seen success immediately following their folk style season. Not the style, it's the structure. And so if our senior level athletes had that type of structure. We had seasons. We had legitimate RTC coaches at every program. We had a large team of 40 guys that we all trained freestyle with. I think it'd be undoubtedly we'd be the best in the world, but we don't have that, right? Our RTCs and our freestyle guys are extensions of the college programs. We're wrestling folk style most of the season with these guys, and we're just like extracurricular in a lot of places and a lot of teams, right? Like every team doesn't have, every college program doesn't have an RTC coach. Every college program doesn't have structured RTC practices. Every college program doesn't have the funding or the amount of money to even sponsor or field an entire team. We only have four freestyle guys here, right? But we've got 35 folk style guys. And so, you know, if we had the structure, the financial backing, the coaching, and 
equivalent season to folk style, I think there's no doubt about it that freestyle would be king in this country, but we just don't have it. We don't have that because we're not aligned with any uh, academic institutions. Like guys are at, you know, all the college programs throughout the country. And so it's really difficult to to recreate that. It's really difficult to recreate that. And then we're so compartmentalized because everyone for the school that they can be for us. Pass the Paris here with Jordan Burroughs. Uh, Jordan didn't didn't plan on going in this direction. I'm going to anyways, uh, if nothing else, to, because of my own curiosity. What kind of what kind of tattoos do you have? What what are your favorite ones? Give, give me a story or two about about your tattoos and the meaning. Yeah, so I have a number of tattoos, man. Um, I have a number of tattoos. I've got probably about I think like maybe fourteen or fifteen, and so. My favorite one is probably the most recent one. I got. I haven't had a tattoo in two years, believe it or not. And my last one was in April 15. I got one for Beacon shortly after he was born. And it was a lighthouse um, that had a banner underneath of it that said Beacon. And it had two hands that were coming down from heaven as if it was a gift from God, a lighthouse beacon. Um, and so it was really cool. It took a long time. It took six hours. And they hurt, man. Anyone who says tattoos doesn't hurt, they're lying. Um, so I wish I could just be put under. If I could be put under anesthesia and I wake up with more tattoos, I'd do it all the time. But the fact that you got to sit through the agonizing pain of a needle, I'm like, eh, it, it kind of deterred me from getting any more for quite a bit of time. So I've been pretty low-key with my tattoo usage in the last couple of years. But, yeah, that's probably my favorite one. I got my first one for my 17th birthday, and then I got my last one for Beacon uh, back in 2015. So quite a bit. Do you plan on adding any others? I do, I do, but it's hard, right? Because like we're always training and competing, and so I have to take a time where I get like an adequate amount of time off the mat to allow it to heal. And so I think about, I'm thinking about getting one after the World Championships to represent um, for Aura. And so I'm thinking about getting one. I still haven't decided what I wanted to get yet. So I'm still in the drawing board and uh, you know brainstorming for what I want to get for Aura. But I'll, I'll probably wait until after the world championships where I get like a few months off, it can heal properly. I don't have to get on the mat and all that good stuff. Yeah. So want to throw some quick rapid fire questions at you, Jordan, favorite holiday. Christmas for sure. What's the first tournament you ever won as a kid? You remember? I do not. I don't remember the first tournament I ever won. That's a good question. I remember my first tournament ever, but not the first one I won. How'd you do at your first tournament ever? I didn't place. I lost. I, I won my first match and then got pinned my second match, but I won a participation trophy. And so <laughs> I was so excited. I remember going home and telling my mom, I was like, mom, like, look, I got a trophy. Like I won. And she's like, what place did you take? And I remember my dad immediately after the tournament, he took me to the hallway to look at the brackets. And it was the Delcy Regional Ace Annual Tournament. And so when it said eighth annual tournament, my dad just looked at it and said, you took eighth place. And so for the rest of the time, I thought I took an eighth, but it was really just the eighth annual tournament. And I, got <laughs> so I was super excited. That way I was hooked because I thought you got trophies no matter how well you do. <laughs> if I were to ask your wife, Lauren, what about you is the most annoying? What is she going to tell me? Um, she probably called me a bitter old man. Now when we got married. I was super romantic and like, carefree and fun loving the older i get the more kids we have and the more responsibility i have the harder it is to keep that fun 
free loving lifestyle. And so sometimes I'm fun and joking and sometimes I'm a bitter old man. Who was your first favorite wrestler that you recall? My first favorite wrestler? Yeah. That's a good question. I actually the first college wrestling I ever watched, I saw Kale Sanderson win his fourth NCAA title to complete the undefeated streak. And I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade then. And so he was my first favorite. I watched him in eighth grade and then I went on to be teammates with him in two thousand eleven, which was which was pretty incredible to see. Um and so yeah, Kale was probably my first favorite wrestler ever. What do you see yourself doing in ten years? years i don't know hopefully having more kids and a and a lot of money and so we'll see i don't know i'd love i'd love to to give back to the wrestling community in somehow or some format i'm not going to coach collegiately i've tried it once for a year and it just wasn't for me um but i'd love to stay engaged in the sport at some level not sure exactly how yet but i'd love to have a big family and uh and be doing well successfully financially if you were not Jordan involved in wrestling right now, what would you be doing? I would like to be actually working for, I'd like to be in branding. I'd like to be in branding and marketing for corporations and companies. I think I'm a pretty persuasive guy. I consider myself pretty good at branding and and marketing schemes. And so I'd like to be a freelance marketer, just going around to different comp- corporations and companies who are, in need of a, a big break, creating jingles, commercial taglines, and things like that to help them uh, appeal to the masses. What's the last good movie that you've seen? Last good movie that I've seen? Man, that's a good question. It's been a while since, since I've watched a good movie. I actually watched a movie on the plane on my way back from Spain. It was called Live by Night, um, starring Ben Affleck. He's a great actor, man. He's he's pretty incredible. Yeah, so that was probably, I saw that a couple weeks, or last week, actually. It was pretty solid. I thought it was good. Last question I have for you, Jordan. You're you're doing a cross country trip, you know, driving from New Jersey out to LA. You in a car with three other people, dead or alive. Who are you picking to go on that trip? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd say Michael Jackson, LeBron James, and let's see who else. And I don't know, man. I'd say maybe like, uh, I don't know. I'll go Serena Williams. Okay. Oh, no. Okay. What right. is Lauren, Lauren, Dave Schultz? Dave Schultz. Oh, there you go. There you go. If, if you could talk to Dave Schultz, what would you talk to him about? I would just, I'd love to just rub shoulders with him, man. He was, he was an amazing, he's, he's me for me, right? Like he was, the guy who was the international ambassador. He was the guy who was loved and beloved throughout the entire world, who was a leader on and off the mat. And like, it really doesn't like being a leader, being the guy is way more than just winning. Right. Like he's one of those guys that's proven it, right. He's an Olympic champ. He's a couple of time world medalist, but his reputation posthumously speaks volumes about who he was as an individual and not who he was as a wrestler. Obviously he was a great wrestler. He was an amazing wrestler, taught a number of things, made up his own moves, was a leader in the freestyle wrestling program. But the stories that I hear about how awesome of a person that he was and just how funny he was to be around is is what makes him most vivid in my imagination of who he was. And I'd like to be around. Unfortunately, he'd have been at the same weight class 
So that would be a bummer, but um, yeah. <laughs> who wins? I mean, who wins that match? I mean, have you have you had that match in your head a couple of times? Who wins that yeah, match? What's the difference? I don't know. I heard he was really well. I heard he was really good on top. But well, he'd have to take me down to get on top. But they had forced parterre <laughs> in his time, right? So it was a little different. But he was just he was. I watched a lot of his matches. I watched his Olympic finals. I watched him wrestle Kenny Monday in the Olympic trials. I watched him wrestling World Championships and. Within that, I see just how great he, he was mean, right? Like, I think that was one thing that separated him was his technical level, but his toughness, right? Like, he wanted to put you in a position where you were forced to go to your back and you're like, yo, just pin me. Too much pain. Too painful. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it would have been cool to hang out with Dave for a couple of days. I'd love to be teammates with him or if he was still alive, I'd love for him to be involved with USA wrestling and kind of just giving back, giving some of his knowledge to us. Well, Jordan, this has been a lot of fun to catch up. Really, truly appreciate uh, how generous you are with your time. And I'm uh, really looking forward to, to watching this next chapter play out August 26th in Paris, France. I'll be there and I'm uh, looking forward to catching up. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Shane, thank you very much for the call, man. I appreciate it. show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.